Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I mean, my husband's missing, listening to us going nearly crazy because she's such an cutie. I've gone through at the home of representative that I'm driving after the hog, so yeah. they can't get the answers. How are the people going to get the answers? They know how hard I work, and to get nothing at the end of it is very, very hard. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 3 96 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.com. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Coach 96 FM. I wouldn't doubt you. Wouldn't doubt you, Cork Airport. They were on the phone to us and on to email within minutes of getting off the air yesterday. Do you remember I finished up by talking to Annette? Uh, who's got a holiday coming up and she uses one of these little rollator things and she's anxious about being able to get it onto the plane and get it out onto the tarmac and she was a bit worried about this, that and the other. Uh, We've got some good news for Annette. She'll get sorted. I had no doubt in my mind, but that um, that should. And I'll tell you more about that in a little while. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083 396 96 and the email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Lots to do and only three hours in which to do it. Let us go first of all, though, to Paul Byrne of Virgin Media News and occasionally of this very programme. A shooting incident or firearms incident, as the Gardaí are calling it, in the Wilton area very early this morning. Paul, what can you tell me? Morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Um, we're at Wilton Manor in Wilton, which is across the road, really, from Cork University Hospital. Um, it's understood that this man is in his 40s. He's from the north side of the city. Uh, he was here at the apartment morning. It's unclear whether he was visiting or living here, but my understanding is that uh, there was some incident. A number of shots were fired, possibly up to four shots in the incident, and this particular man, who's in his 40s, was shot in the stomach. Now, he somehow staggered, managed to stagger his way to Cork University Hospital, where he presented himself, and a source at the hospital said shortly after he arrived uh, at their doorstep, as it were, uh, with this uh, critical injury, that he collapsed and lost, lost consciousness. Okay, and this was, the guys that I take it are investigating, they, they're keeping an open mind at this point, there's been no arrests, I understand. 
No arrest at the moment. I'm here and you've got um, detectives, you've got Gardaí, you've got uh, uh, forensic officers. The area is sealed off. There's um, uh, a, a complete uh, clampdown here. You've got the usual cordoned off areas, guard the tape, uh, guard the vans, uh, detective car, guard the cars. Uh, they obviously, as I said, they haven't made an arrest at this stage. Uh, the man is known to Gardaí. They will, of course, be examining his links and also who uh, he has been in contact with recently. Recently, uh, they'll obviously be looking at CCTV footage. It's a vast area. They'll also be examining his phone to see who he may have been in contact with in the past uh, 24 to 48 hours. Now, your line dropped just there very on in our conversation. Just give me the geography of this again, Paul, if you could. Um, the, the area is sealed off. As I said, the forensic officers are here. Just in relation to the hospital, where is it? For people who might be trying to avoid it for traffic reasons. No, there's, there's no need to avoid it for traffic reasons. This is a, a, an area, an apartment block. It's across the road from Cork University Hospital. It's off the main road, Manor, uh, Wilton Manor in Wilton. It's a very, very big area. It's off Summerstone Road if, uh, for people who might be familiar with that area. Um, but as I said, this man presented himself in the, the hospital in the early hours of this morning with uh, what we believe is a gunshot wound to the stomach. Okay. But uh, there was also a number of spent cartridges found at the scene. Okay, so no, no word on his condition as of yet? Uh, my understanding is that he's critical but stable. Okay, all right. They will hope, of course, to be interview him uh, when medics say that he's uh, fit enough to be interviewed. They will talk to him. Sometimes uh, victims... Um, uh, talk. Sometimes they say nothing Correct. and leave uh, leave themselves to sort it out. All right, all right, Paul. Thank you for that. That's Paul Byrne of Virgin Media, Southern correspondent, Virgin Media News, with the up to date details. Wilton Manor is where that happened between five and five forty five. Uh, the man presented himself with a nasty stomach wound to Cork University Hospital, where he is now being treated. He managed, as Paul said, to drag himself across the road from where this happened. And one eight hundred six 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 one one one. If anybody has information that they can help the guards with, Toker Garda Station is zero two one four nine four seven one two hundred. They're also looking for camera footage, dash cam, anything, taxis. I suppose who were in the area at that hour of the morning. But, uh, thank you for that, Paul. There was another incident yesterday in West Cork. There was a stabbing uh, in Skibbereen. If you know the place, it's Castle Townsend Road in Skibbereen. This happened around quarter past 11 yesterday. Man in his 50s, he was airlifted to CUH. Injuries described as serious, but not life-threatening. There was an arrest, and a man is being detained in another Cork Garda station. Both of the people, this is according to Cork Bio, both of the people involved are from Eastern Europe, had been living in West Cork for a number of years. It was an apartment block just near a disused petrol station. If you know Skib, I have some knowledge of Skib. If you know Skib, you'll know where this is. It's an empty petrol station. There are some apartments there. They call them Regal Estate. There was some other business operating out at the petrol station. I was there a couple of months ago. But we wish that man well. And as I said, another, another person arrested. Uh, 0818 96 96 96. Let us go tell you what happened yesterday with Annette. So she contacted the show because she's going to Salou on holidays in a week or two, flying to Reos. And she booked through Love Holidays, which is a very reputable and well-known holiday site. She's a bit concerned because she uses a rollator 
which is one of these little things. It looks like a little trolley that you push in front of you. It's for mobility issues. And she's just worried about whether she'll be able to get her rollator to the plane at Cork Airport. And even more importantly, off the plane at the other end in Reyes Airport. And she's travelled with it before. So it shouldn't particularly be a problem. Sure enough, sure enough, Barry Holland and Kathleen Walsh from Cork Airport were in touch uh, immediately once the show was over and said that uh, she can be, she will be sorted out. She said, according to this, Annette said she was advised by someone from Love Holidays that she was not allowed to bring her rollator to the boarding gate. That's not correct. She will, of course, be able to bring her rollator to the boarding gate. There is a company called OCS, which is based at Cork Airport, who are able to assist. So between Kathleen and Barry and the team at Cork Airport, they will sort Annette out when she goes on her holidays next week. Isn't it lovely to be able to help a listener? And by the way, there are more of you. There are more of you now than there were the last time we checked. 69,000 of you, and it's five, is it five or six? 5,000 more than the last time we looked. And we're delighted and thrilled and pleased to have each and every one of you joining our conversation. Cork loves the arts. We do too. That's why we bring you the Arts House. Every Sunday on Cork's 96FM. Hi, it's Elmarie. Join myself and Connor every Sunday morning to find out what's happening in the arts all over Cork. There's so much happening. Fantastic festivals with great events for all ages and we'll tell you all about them. The Arts House. Sunday mornings 8 to 10. With Griffin's Potatoes. Planted, picked and produced in Cork. Griffin's Potatoes. The great taste of home. Cork. 96 FM. Do you remember yesterday, Arlene was on with me. Uh, she wrote in the Echo about being in Clonakilty, Arlene Quinlan. She was in Clonakilty for a meeting. She saw antisocial behaviour. The Garda station was 200 yards from where this was happening. She rang the guards to report it in and she was sent to this control centre where they had to ask her a ton of questions before a guard could be dispatched. And by the time a guard could be dispatched from 200 yards up the road, sure, the teenagers were gone. This is a growing story. It's on the front page of the examiner this morning. People very confused by this idea that the guard station is 200 yards away and you will have to answer questions to someone somewhere else before the guard from down the road can come and sort the problem out. It's, it's, it's crackers, actually. Uh, Audrey was on. She said, regarding the lady who was talking about the Gardaí and the antisocial behaviour, two days ago I rang Toker Garda station three times and got no answer. Five teenagers were going around on a mini motorbike. Only one of them had a helmet on. They were going on it two at a time on the main road and driving on the GA pitch where children were playing. It was an accident waiting to happen. Thanks, Audrey. But this new dispatch system, I'll, I'll, I'll find more from that Examiner article in a wee while. 0818 But Damien Horgan has been teaching English in Vietnam for the past four years. Damien is from Cork. He was involved in a dreadful motorcycle accident there just over a fortnight ago. I'm joined by his sister Fiona. Damien is still very, very seriously ill. In fact, I think he's still unconscious, is he, Fiona? Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, he's still in ICU. He's still sedated on a ventilator um, along with another, um, an ECMO machine to kind of um, help the function of his lung and heart. Right. So he's still very, very critical at the moment. 
What happened to him, do you know? How did this accident happen? Um, so I suppose we can only go by what the police report was. Um, so basically he was on the motorbike and he they think he crashed into a barrier. Um, it was kind of late at night. Um, they don't think there was anybody else involved, but I suppose we haven't disputed that yet. But um, yeah. so and then he was found by the police around kind of 1.30, 2 a.m. Okay. Um, he was still conscious at that time, but they brought him to the a local hospital and he became unconscious at that point, um, I suppose, from the injuries that he received. But so we're hopeful that his brain hadn't been affected, um, but it's still kind of undetermined at the moment. He was wearing a very good helmet, thankfully. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. He has broken ribs, a ruptured spleen that had to be removed, broken collarbone, broken shoulder, a ruptured bronchus, collapsed lung. Uh, he has had several surgeries already and will have to have some more. The The ECMO is helping with the function of his heart and lungs. He's a very, very sick young man. And the difficult, this, the tragic part of this, he's well established out there. He's been there a number of years. He had health insurance until he changed jobs. Yeah, so he had just recently left a job that he'd been in for quite a while. Um, and he was kind of in the process of seeking employment. He'd been in contact with other schools and things. Um, but unfortunately, the health insurance that he had was linked with the previous job. So he kind of was, I suppose, in between in between jobs. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just up to us to try and cover the medical bills now at this stage. It's mounting fast. Yeah, I mean, like the first hospital that he was in, um, it was kind of cheaper, I suppose. Um, but I mean, it was like it was indescribable uh, the state it was in. But when he was moved to the Chowray Hospital, then um, like the cost of the ICU, they were kind of saying it would be between seven hundred and a thousand US dollars. Um, that was just the, the just the basic care, the yes, per wow. day. Wow. Yeah, just the bed. Anything else is additional costs. Um, so, yeah, it's it's racking up fairly quickly. All right. Sure it is. Does Vietnam not have public health care or is it the case that the public health care system is not good enough here? Um, so it, the hospitals he has been in are actually public hospitals. Um, but I suppose because he's a foreigner, as such, yeah. it's different. If he was Vietnamese, he wouldn't have to pay. Understood. I suppose it would be something similar to here. But um, so they are actually public hospitals. Okay. Okay. Someone's but, had to go out yeah. there, of course, to be with him because he can't consent to anything at the moment. Yeah. So when we found out on the Wednesday um, what had happened, we had contact with the embassy quite quickly, and we started getting our visas in place. The embassy um, expedited our visas so that they would come through faster. So I just put myself forward straight away to say I would go. It made most sense, me being a nurse. Um, so another sister and my brother-in-law came with us too, just kind of, I suppose you'd want a man with you in a country like that. Um, and like, I suppose we would have been so emotional as well that we kind of needed the extra support. Um, so we had to be verified by the embassy that we were, in fact, his, like that I was his sister. Um, and then we had to consent for, you know, transferring from one hospital to another and for any procedures that he's had. Mm. So are you out there now? No, I came back last Saturday. Okay. Okay. I went on the Friday after it happened and I came back. I was out there just over a week. 
Okay. Um, Does he have I somebody with him now? Yeah, my brother. So there's eight of us all together in the family. Um, so my brothers, one of my brothers is actually over there and my niece, um, they've been there since last Saturday. So there was just a couple of hours where one of us wasn't there. Um, and my another brother and niece will travel today, actually, tonight. So they'll arrive tomorrow. Okay. Um, like that somebody has to be close to the hospital just to consent. I mean, of course, obviously, if anything was to happen, we would want a family member to be there as well. Um, but just to, to actually consent as well, somebody has to be very close to the hospital. Sure. He has quite a good network of friends and local support, but family is everything. Yeah. And I mean, his friends have been absolutely amazing. And even last week when we were leaving on the Friday, he was supposed to go for a big surgery and we were thinking, oh, my God, we're going to have to change our flights. Like we couldn't go if he was going to be having a big surgery like that. But his friends were reassuring us that like one of them would definitely be there um, with him, you know, if, if it was needed. One of the girls actually, and um, she's been fantastic. She's been Vietnamese and he actually had taught her English okay. at one stage. She had been a student of his. Um, and now they want to give back. His friends, yeah. yeah, or his friends have been absolutely amazing. We would have been completely lost without them. Okay, okay. Uh, you set up a GoFundMe because this is costing the family huge money. I think you've dropped about 30,000 so far. Yeah, it's been unbelievable. I actually, I was sitting in my pyjamas yesterday thinking, right, we're going to have to do this. And... I just said, I'll just write the message and we'll get it out there. And I shed a lot of tears when I was scrolling through the money that came in. It's just been outstanding, like just indescribable. I mean, it's really taken the weight off of our shoulders. Um, you know, obviously, it's, Damon is still very critical and obviously that's on our mind all the time. But yesterday, oh, my God, the money that came in was just unbelievable the support behind us. And we really, we had kind of tried to cover the cost ourselves, but it was just like getting out of control. Yeah. Um, so, and people really did want to help anybody that I was telling about what happened. Um, everybody wanted to help and were asking about to go fin- fund me. And I said, like, we were going to kind of try to hold out as long as we could. But yesterday then when there was more bills coming in and we knew there was more surgeries going to happen, we just said we're yeah. going to have to look for help from people. Just and it has just been 37,600 in there now, which which is incredible in what? Less than less than two days. It's it's, it's Oh remarkable. yeah, it's it's actually about 20, it's less than 24 hours. Is it really? Is it really? Yeah, it's That's just incredible. been unbelievable. Fiona, tell me about your brother. Tell me about Damien. Um, so Damien is number three of eight of us. Um, he studied science in school, but he really, I suppose, kind of didn't settle well in Ireland. And he's been traveling for a long time now. Um, he was in South Korea for about nine years. He was in China for another couple of years teaching English. And he just really enjoyed that. Um, he, yeah, just, he's very interesting character. He's very intelligent. Um, even one of his friends in Vietnam were telling us that um, that friend and Damien aren't allowed to be on the same team at table quizzes because they always win because <laughs> so the two of them are so smart. Um, but yeah, he's just a very gentle soul. Um, and yeah, like even another one of his friends was nearly giving out about him saying all oh, his money he's always giving it to everybody else he's nearly too generous um so yeah and yeah he's just a gentle soul and 
Yeah. When was the last time you were hard. able to speak to him and the city's in now? You won't be able you haven't um, I suppose it's been four years he hadn't actually been home in the last four years between COVID and everything. Um so I suppose we, we have the family WhatsApp group, so he'd be sending messages a lot. Um Things like that. I hadn't actually spoken to him. Like, so it was very hard. It's very hard to ring actually um, from Vietnam. So we hadn't really. Yeah, it's even when we were there, we had to get a VPN and things like that to try and ring home. Um, it's actually quite difficult. So, so he would kind of like FaceTime sometimes. There was one of the pictures that we actually had up um, that he was FaceTiming my dad. Um, so yeah, it's quite hard to actually communicate, but. He would send a lot of messages through the um, the family kind of WhatsApp group okay. and things. So it's it has been a long time since I actually had seen him and spoken to him properly. So, mm. I mean, to see him in the hospital bed in the state that he's in was just yeah. horrendous. And you but, said you you said you're a nurse, so you're you're obviously going to assess him like you'd assess any other patient, apart from being your beloved brother. Like he's in a bad yeah, shape, is oh, he? Oh, very bad. Like even I kind of was looking at him starting from head to toe and even when he was in the original hospital, like he was on the ventilator, he had central line in, um, chest drains, other drains from having the surgery on his spleen. Um, you know, he had a lot of bruising and grazing. Um, yeah, it's just, oh, it's very hard. I suppose for me, it kind of, being a nurse, it was easy do you know, I suppose it was kind of reassuring in a way that I knew what everything was. And yes. I could say, okay, they're doing this right, they're doing that. You could see the medications that he was being given and they actually had given us a list of what he had given. It was more to do with being a bill, actually. So that was kind of reassuring. Do you know, they'd given him a tetanus jab and he'd gotten multiple units of blood and things like that. So I suppose it was kind of reassuring at that yeah. stage. So, so I mean, as, as a nurse, you're, you're, you're able to look at and assess the level of care. He's getting good care. Oh, he is now definitely, um, I suppose the original hospital he was in, some of his friends were questioning kind of why he was brought there to begin with, but I suppose they didn't know the extent of his injuries. Sure. And it was, he was very unstable, um, like being ventilated, like trying to move him to a different hospital is very difficult. Sure and they was. actually had kind of public holidays as well. So yeah. it wasn't until kind of last Thursday, they had a bit of a meeting and they said like he wasn't improving where he was, so he okay. needed to be moved somewhere else. Have you had a chance um, to speak with his doctors, you know, knowledgeably kind of and, and get, um, get yes, an assessment of prognosis and things like that? Yeah, the doctors were very good. Um, I suppose in the original hospital, they didn't have very good English, but where he is now in Shaorei Hospital in Ho Chi Minh, um, they had quite good English and the embassy were very good as well. Um, and his friends for, you know, providing interpreters and yeah. things like that. But um, But like, I mean, he's still very, very critical. Um, when he came to the Chari Hospital, they did a full body CT and they realised the extent of his injuries. They hadn't been able to do a CT previous to that because they didn't have a CT scanner in the other hospital. Um, and then you could see how badly damaged his ribs were, you know, and that had kind of ruptured his lung and all that. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think they realised how actually badly injured he was in the other hospital because they just couldn't really, you know, do the the assessments, um, yeah. but then they just realised, I mean, they've keep, kept telling us, you know, how critical he actually is, like, he's lucky to have survived this long at all, mm. even the ambulance journey from one hospital to another. Um, well, well, here's we hoping, that, he here's hoping that, that, that he'll pull through. The GoFundMe is now up on our opinion line Twitter.
and Thank you. people can follow it and share it. Um, it stands as we speak. Let me press this button in front of me. It stands as we speak at thirty-seven thousand six hundred and sixty-five, and that's even started to click up a little bit since you and I began to speak. Fiona, yeah, I, I wish you. It's it's incredible. I wish you and the family well, Fiona. Um, Thanks so much. It's hard, thank the, you for it's hard to be here with your beloved brother that halfway around the world. Oh, it's very hard. It was hard being over there, but being at home is worse. At least when you're there, you feel you have some bit of control of the situation. But um, being at home, it's terrible. And for my brother, trying to keep as updated as possible um, as well. But and the time difference and everything, it's it's hard. Okay. Okay. Well, our, yeah, our, our thoughts are with everyone. Thanks so much. Our thoughts are with everyone, and that GoFundMe we've shared it now on our our socials. All right, our, our best. Thanks, PJ. Our best to you and everybody else. That's Fiona Horgan. Uh, was in Vietnam up to a few days ago. She's back. Another family member over there now with her brother Damien, English teacher in Vietnam. He's been travelling for for years. A nasty, nasty accident. Broken ribs. Ruptured spleen. Collapsed lung. Many, many other things going on. He's critical. And he's on an ECMO, he's in ICU. The sad part of it, this is the sad part. He was working in a good job and then he left that job for another job. And because he left the job, he doesn't have medical insurance. And that's just so, so sad. So how unlucky could you be? So the family of Rockclub builds about 30,000 in the space of two weeks and they've got this GoFundMe going. Uh, it's called, uh, if you want to search... Go fund me. It's called Help Damien in His Fight for Life. Help Damien in His Fight for Life. Currently standing at 37,665 euro. 0818969696. Hard to hear about this story from Vietnam as the rest of us are enjoying the fine weather. You never know when misfortune will strike. Best of luck to Fiona and the family. Our thoughts are with you. A rescue doggy escaped his new owner. Okay, so he was given up by a family. They found him a new home. Yeah. They couldn't keep him for whatever reason. Because he got to his new home and he was like, I'm having none of this. Really? He trekked 65 kilometers and went back to his old family. What? And arrived at the door. But they didn't want... So he knocked on the door, scratched on the door, they opened the door. And they were like, no, we... No, we got rid of He's like, I'm back, guys. I'm back. And they're like, we, 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 do, we don't want you. He's probably wagging his little tail. Reminds me of my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> they kept dropping you no off. No matter how far they went, I walked back from Donegal once. <laughs> Casey and Ross in the morning. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at Null DC Cars. Skoda sales dealer of the year. Corks 96 FM. More on that guy, the bureaucracy thing. We discussed it on the program yesterday with Aline Quinlan. It's a bigger story on this morning's examiner and calls coming in as well. I know someone in their house was robbed during the day from the roof of her house. You can see the Garda station. It took them 40 minutes. When she said she could come across here in no time, they said they'd no car. For God's sake, it's less than three minutes walk. Rules are rules, though, they said. And we need a car for this kind of incident. I'd well believe it. I'd well, well believe it. Now the Garda station is 100 yards away from the incident and until this new central dispatch crack sends the cop across the road to the incident 
They can't leave the station. Like, it's it's utterly, utterly, utterly crackers. 0818 96 96 96. Now, to mind that other story, and we have to be a little bit careful of it. This is the one of the M7 from 2021, where the three fellas in the BMW were killed. They were driving in the wrong direction, in, uh, and they hit a truck. They were killed, and now a guard is to be prosecuted for doing his job, for chasing that car. And the inquest was suspended because of this prosecution that's happening. And that's how he found out. Now, that, to me, is the most shocking part, that the guard who was on his day's work doing his duty that day in July of 2021, he found out that he's to be prosecuted. He doesn't know yet what the charge will be. When it was raised at the inquest into these three guys' deaths. Tom wrote in, So, PJ, a guard is to be prosecuted for chasing a carload of couriers who drove down the M7 in the wrong direction. With the present commissioner, he'll probably end up suspended as well and may have to wait years for this thing to be concluded. Why would you bother? I said the same yesterday. Why would you bother being a guard? you can get into that kind of trouble just for doing your job. On a lighter note, at the end of the show yesterday, I was talking to Annette. Thankfully, she'll be sorted, thanks to the wonderful crew at Cork Airport. Her little problem will be ironed out for her, which is great. And she's then, she's off to Salou, and she was telling me yesterday she's got some bar over there, a restaurant that guy she knows, she's going to put together a fundraiser for the Radiothon. She'll be over there during Radiothon, so we'll catch up with her. And they were going to do a fundraiser for us in Salou, which is a nice touch. But it brought up the subject of people going on holidays. And this is one of my favourites over the years. And I'm lucky enough to be able to go on holidays. Love going to Spain, love going to the islands, love, just love it. But what I can never understand, and you see it, is people who spend their entire day, right? They're staying in the most gorgeous part of the world. They get up in the morning and they go for a fry in the Blarney Stone. And then they go and have their their lunch um, in Kitty O'Shea's. And then they spend their evenings in the Shamrock. And I'm kind of thinking, like, why do you even bother? Would you not go to somewhere like Spain and sample the fantastic local food, like tapas, paella, all these wonderful things? No, you're in there for the spuds and gravy in the Shamrock. Like, why? I mean, I love bacon and cabbage. There's nothing on earth to touch a good feed of bacon and cabbage. But the thoughts of eating it in the Blarney Stone in a holiday desk. Oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. No, no, no. You wonder why people do that. Are you one of them? Tell me why you would. I'll probably get given out now. The other one that gets me is when you go to the supermarket, right? When you're away. Particularly when you're self-catering. You go to the supermarket and they're there searching for Irish this and maybe English that. I'm not buying any of that Spanish stuff. I knew someone actually last last year. I'm very partial to a porch, poached egg. <laughs> and I bought eggs at the local supermarket. And someone said, oh, would you, would you buy them? I would, of course. Where do you think they came from? You know, hen? The local eggs. Give me a break here. Oh, you couldn't eat them. They're not our eggs. No, they're... Are you one of those people that, that goes on holidays? And, and there's other people too that, that have um, 
that have other little habits, do you know? Do you know Nana's passport? This is another another favourite of mine. Yeah, I'll go straight to that call, guys. <laughs> um, go st- Nana's passport. So there's a queue, there's a family queuing up at the airport to be checked through to fly out on the early morning flight. Everyone's been up since stupid o'clock and it's even stupider when you're queuing up. And there's mom and dad and the three kids. They all have their little bags. There's Nana at the back rustling around a bag. The bag is bigger than herself and she's bloating and footamalling down the bottom of the bag. You all right, Nana? Where's my passport? Where is your passport, Nana? I packed it in there. Nana, where's the passport? And I've stood behind these... Stay home. 0818-96-96-96. I have a book here. Lovely little book. Beautifully produced little children's book called The Pea and the Pansy Start Big School. This is a big time of year. Huge adventure for the smallies. Because they won't be smallies anymore. Come September or late August, they'll be big school. Going to big school. And they love their creche and they love their their baby school and now they're going to big school and they're shy about it and they're stressed out about it and they don't want to go. Like Emer's two lads, four and five, isn't it four and five, Eames? And starting in September, one of them in particular loves his creche but is really, really nervous. Really nervous about going on to big school. And this book is for kids in that particular bracket. It's called The Pea and the Pansy Start Big School. Alison Curtin has written this lovely book, beautifully produced. Alison, have a copy of it in front of me. Morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good, good, good. Where did the idea come from? So I suppose the idea stemmed from a couple of things, really. I have a preschool here myself, um, Scamps and Rascals in Ladiesbridge. And I suppose the children come to me, you know, when they're three or almost three and they spend two years with us. And after the two years, then they transition on to primary school and big school, as is said in the book. And so I suppose every year I, you know, I experience this transition. Some children are nervous, some children are excited. And that book is just an idea I had to support the children that are that little bit nervous. And it explains the feeling of butterflies that they might have. You know, so it's kind of, it's been stemmed from what I experience myself each year in my own place, you know. Yeah. Is this a new thing, that kids are anxious when they're leaving little school to go to big school? Um, I or is this something just we didn't see it before now? I think that we just didn't see it. Like, I think what I've observed myself is that, you know, sometimes we can just paint the the picture that it's only an exciting time. You know, I think that it's so much exciting kind of feelings around it but we kind of tend to forget about the emotions you know that children also have in terms of you know being nervous and being anxious because it it is a big change all the same even though it is exciting obviously of course it's so exciting but there are a lot of nerves there too PJ you know. Mm. What are they nervous about in your experience? In my experience I suppose they're nervous about making new friends you know like they're with the same friends here for the two years and and I suppose they don't all move on to the same school together or some of them might go to different schools. They can be nervous about making new friends for for starters, and then they're nervous too, what I actually have heard myself. A lot of them might be nervous about the lunch breaks. You know, like we sit down now with the children at our lunch breaks here, and 
it could be quite like, you know, it can be kind of intimate. We have the time to sit down with them at the table, but I suppose when they go on to big school, then there's two lunch breaks, they have a certain time. You know, there's a bit of a, di- a transition there too, you know. Mm, mm. There's a tendency to look back in this kind of romantic view of, of history and say, sure, God, I did it, and it didn't seem to bother me. Why is it bothering these kids? But is it that we just didn't know, and our parents didn't know, and our teachers didn't know what we were going through? We know more now about children and their development? Exactly. I think that we know a lot more now about children's development. You know, like, we, there's the social aspects, the physical, the intellectual. You know, all of that is what we would focus on for the two years to make sure, you know, that the children are ready. But maybe that mightn't have been the case years ago, you know, there mightn't have been such a detailed developmental checklist I suppose to have, you know? Yeah, yeah. You were just yeah. you brought brought with your school bag. And exactly. There and go, we'll see you later. <laughs> yeah. See you at two o'clock. <laughs> so this is a this is a storybook. And it's based on the stuff you've come across. Like yeah. what page seven, what is a graduation? asked Peter the P. Yeah, so um, so every year we um, we have a little graduation ourselves here for the children who are finishing up with us. So, like, I wanted to portray actual references to what I've observed, you know. And um, obviously lots of children are excited for the graduation. They get their scrapbook at the end of the year and their book with their photos and stuff like that. But, you know, there, I have seen one or two children who have asked, you know, what is a graduation? And we explain then how it's the last kind of party that you're going to have with us before you move on to your next chapter kind of a thing, you know? So I wanted to include that because that's something that we actually do do. <laughs> yeah. One thing that I think disappears, or does it, when you go from creche to big school is circle time. We all know now what circle time is. We've all seen our kids do it. It's wonderful. They don't do that in babies, junior yeah. infants anymore. You, so you have to adapt to losing out on circle time. Exactly, and to be honest, circle time is my favourite time. I mean, there's there's four of us working here, and we all take turns doing circle time, but to be honest, I love doing it, <laughs> so I normally swipe it, you know, because it's just a lovely little time. We all sit around in a circle. We give our news from the weekend, or just our news in general, and then, you know, like each week we would have a different team and a different phonic, and we talk about all those kind of things. Like, it's a lovely, intimate little time, you know, where they can really share with yeah. us and with their friends. And then Any bit of news, you know? They go into junior infants and that may, some teachers might do it, but that may be gone because the, the group is too big to do it in a, in a junior infants. Yeah, that's it, you see. That's why it's such a special two years. Like, we get to be really personal with the children and we really get to form such a lovely bond, you know, through those kind of extra exercises and interactions. Yeah. Well, the book is out and it's available uh, in, I assume, all good bookshops now or well, online. It's online, yeah, it's online at the moment. You can, it actually only recently became available on Amazon, which is great. So if you just type in the title of the book, you can order it there. And also you can message myself and I'm, I've been arranging postage. And of course, they've been available in my lovely mother's flower shop too. She's been... Um, oh, you're Kay's them. daughter, aren't you? I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. for goodness sake. Yes, <laughs> yeah, small, small, so world, small very world. Very small world. <laughs> you have other books in the, in the planning process, have you? I do which are top secret because I didn't tell anybody I was working on this one either. So I do have one in, um, I do have one currently that I'm working on, but I'm hoping maybe the summer I'll have more time in the summer to really uh, sit down and do it. Cause it does take a lot of work. Actually. I was kind of surprised, you know, there's a lot of over and back with the publishers and that. So I want to make sure I have the proper time to make sure it's just as good as this one. Yeah. So if anybody and the Spawnies will be finishing up 
I guess any day now. They will, the end of June now, yeah. The end of June. So what, what advice would you have for parents of nervous, other than by my book, for parents who are nervous or whose smallies are nervous and they don't quite know what to do about it? What would you say to them? So what I think is actually very beneficial is if a parent or a guardian had a photo of them maybe in their school uniform, you know, if it is possible and they could say, look, mammy or daddy, we also went to big school just like you. You know, these kind of things are kind of comforting, you know, real, real visual aids, we'll say, you know. Yeah. 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 And just to have a general chat, really. And I'm, I'm sure over the summer um, or before the summer break, lots of the children meet the meet their new teacher for September and that. So all those kind of things help, you know. And it is. Don't play it down. I think it's a very strong message. Don't play it down. It is a big thing for them. It is, absolutely, and it's important to explain, you know, the day is a little bit longer because our preschool day here is just the three hours. So it's that little bit longer in primary school and they're going to have two lunch breaks. You know, things like that are good to kind of um, to tell them about, really, that are going to be that little bit different and that they wear a school uniform. But I actually, I refer to those in the book. There were the kind of changes that I wanted to include, um, the, the lunch breaks and the longer school day and that they have to wear a school uniform, you know, so I, I included all those too. All right, listen, uh, good luck with it and give our best to Kay. Give our best to Kay and, and, and all that. I will, of course, PJ, thank you. And just before I leave you go, I'm actually out in the kitchen myself in the preschool and I set up the radio in the room and the children are sitting around at circle time listening to it. Would you just say hello to Would my lovely Would you take little... the phone in? Would you I take will, the course. phone in? Okay, <laughs> all right. And see, can we get a big cheer? Oh my this goodness. might be difficult now because you're a little digital delay thing, but let's see if we can do this. So if you talk to the class there, Alison, and see, can we get a big cheer? Perfect. You do that for me. I'll just know right. first. Let, let it go through to the other room now. There might be a little bit of a delay on this because of the way the, the, the thing works. Can I come in, she says. Go on, go on in. It's circle time, so we're breaking in now. This is really private moments. Circle time. For the smallies, all right? And so we're going to see. Hello, everybody. Put it on speaker there. Hello, everybody. Are they all gone shy? Are they gone shy? Hello. I'll just put you on speaker. Two seconds. Hello. Oh. Hello. Hello, everybody. Give us a shout. Hey, hello. Hey. <laughs> Have a wonderful day. Thank you to everyone. Thank you to everyone. Thanks a million, PJ. The army not that quiet. <laughs> no, it's okay. It's fine. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Scamps and rascals in Ladies Bridge. Where am I going? Oh yeah, Mary. Mary's on three. Uh, about you were going. No, you were going on on, on chatting about going on holidays. And another conversation came about doctors. Mary, good morning. Good morning. Um, it's just a colleague in work was, you know, we were talking about holidays and everybody's booking and everything. And some, somebody was saying that they were going to visit their um, child in Australia. Yeah. Um, the, pretty much their entire medical class that graduated in 2022 has relocated to Melbourne. Wow, so this, um, this is someone, their child is from that class, so they're yes. newly qualified the doctor, and yeah. 74 graduated, yeah. and, 66 and 66 of them are in Melbourne, mother of God. Yeah. yeah, so it just brings up a kind of 
conversation, you know, and I don't blame them, like, in fairness, like, but we have to rethink maybe the way we're educating them. Not, I don't think that they should be stuck here. In fairness, like they've worked long and hard. They've earned the right to work wherever they like. They've done their internship in the hospitals, yeah? I, oh, absolutely, yeah. They've done their junior doctor and the whole... Like, they have to to be able to, you know, to Qualified, take these opportunities. Yeah. yeah. So, like, you know, do they really want to go back into the place where they're remembered as the fella who came in seven years ago and thought something was something else and you know what I mean all their mistakes all their everything that has led up to them qualifying is associated probably with CUH or you know what I mean with local yeah. hospitals and yeah. things like that they want to start fresh as professionals yeah not as students who make mistakes and students who misdiagnose and students who are there and who are sick of the four walls of, like, have been incarcerated in Irish hospitals yes, for the yes. last God knows how long with all the inefficiencies and all the things that we know are wrong with our health mm. system and they get a chance to start somewhere else. But the problem for us is that maybe we need to change the way we're educating them so people actually want to stay here. Well, as Chris Luke said to me a few weeks ago, and I said many times, it's it's quite normal for newly graduated young doctors to travel the world a bit. Absolutely. But what we want to do is get them them back. Exactly. You want them to come back. You know? And maybe, like, you know what I mean, that, like, as I said, maybe the kind of Erasmus-type programs should be rolled out so that they get experience elsewhere as part of their training rather than okay. after they graduate. So that as part of being in medical school yeah. they would study, and, oh that's a good idea. And they've kind of gone abroad they've kind of got a little bit of that out of the system, maybe they liked it, maybe they didn't, maybe, you know what I mean? But it would and you know, they could maybe bring ideas from places back while they are training and say, well listen I'm, I'm going to stay here and try and get that pushed forward in Yeah. The hospital here rather than having to wait and try and then have yeah. wait consultants and have to come back as a consultant and get this and get that. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. would just be maybe give them a broader, yeah. it's an, give them a, you know, just, I just don't think what we're doing is obviously working. And then we're getting doctors from other jurisdictions. We've no idea how they were trained. There's a thing. No, that, that statistic, <laughs> I think, <laughs> Mary, will be shocking to a lot of people. 74 yeah. graduates from the medical class of 2022 at UCC and 66 of them are in Australia. Yeah, 64 of them were going and then two more decided that they weren't staying when all the others were going. Wow. (laughs) You know what I mean? So even, like, wouldn't that were going to stay? Like, but why would you be here? That's true. Yeah, but the hope is that you do your few years and come back. Yeah, but, like, that's a huge statistic, like, to be... Do you know what I mean? We need the people who just want to, I won't say, who want to be ordinary doctors and just want to be here as well. Yeah, you know what a, I mean? No, no, but it, 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 I think it's a figure, Mary. I'll leave it there for no reason other than time. But, but, but for, for the ordinary listener, that's a stunning statistic. 74 people graduated medical school at UCC in 2022. 66 of them are now in Australia. The mines are live. Hello. Join-
in the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Fox 96 FM. Delighted to tell you that since we were talking about Damien uh, in Vietnam and the terrible accident he had and the terrible medical needs that he had and we were chatting with his sister Fiona in the last hour the GoFundMe which was standing at 36,000 and something has gone over 39,000 let's see if we can't get it to 40,000 by the end of the opinion line today it's called Help Damien in his fight for life we will podcast Fiona's interview as well so you'll be able to catch up with it a bit later. Good morning to you. 0818 96 96 96, the number. The text or WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96, and the email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Two people in studio with me, Kevin and Helena. They're husband and wife. I'm going to come to you first, Kevin, uh, and we'll chat about you because you are about, you are writing, you have published two books, and you are about to complete your third. Uh, and you're, you're, it's a very much a first. You're the first patient of dementia to write two books and have a third one in the process. Now, that's where I'm lost because <laughs> dementia, I don't know anything about how you're able to do that. Good morning and welcome. It's great to be here and uh, thanks a million for having us. Yeah, um, I think that's the thing about dementia. When I was first diagnosed, I was told that I had a thing called Louis body dementia. Yeah. And of course, I didn't hear the word Louis and I didn't hear the word body. All I heard was dementia. And I said to the neurologist, I said, she does nothing wrong with my memory. Yes. How can I have dementia? So I was like so many people out there thinking dementia equals Alzheimer's equals memory loss. Because I've met dementia patients and I've done stories with families affected by dementia. And I know there are a number of different kinds of dementia. But here you are having, and we've been, you've been here for a few minutes, having a perfectly ordinary yeah. conversation with me. My impression as a layman of dementia, and I'm sure, Helena, I'll bring you in in a minute. My impression as a layman of dementia might be that you don't even know how to put your shirt on or tie your tie. You see, that, and that is the problem. And the type of dementia I have called Louis Wire dementia, it has a whole myriad of symptoms, but one of them isn't memory problems. Which is a strange thing. And like... That's why um, it's a very exciting year for people like me because this year Louis Body Island will be launched. Okay. And believe it or not, there are six and a half to 10,000 people like me in the country with Louis Bodies. And the reason that we don't hear about it is exactly as you have said. People are afraid that when they'll go out and they're normal or they seem normal, people say, she's nothing wrong with him. So take me back and give me a little history lesson. You're 59 now. When were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed when I was 53, but I think it began probably around 49 to 50. Looking back at photographs of my 50th birthday party, I was a very, very unwell man, and we were living in Australia at the time. I see. And a doctor had said to me, I'd been in hospital on four occasions within the space of 12 months with different ailments and pretty, pretty I'd bore Homer's disease, vitamin angitis, the blood flu and one of the doctors there said when you go back to Ireland will you get yourself checked out for early onset 
Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. Oh. Now, the only reason I took notes of him was because an uncle of mine had died in America from Alzheimer's. I see. But I came home and made an appointment actually with uh, Dr. Arno O'Toole here in Cork. She's a wonderful, wonderful neurologist. And um, I had lumbar puncture and I came back to the Parkinson's. Right. But she knew there was more wrong. I didn't, but she knew there was more wrong. And she kept going and going with different scans and everything was coming back clear. And the final scan she did was called the death scan. It's D, capital D, small a, capital T scan. And that showed that I had Lewy body deposits on my brain. Now, as I have found out, that scan is 85 to 95% accurate in detecting Lewy bodies. Right. But what, 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 what were your symptoms? I'll come to what a Lewy body is in a minute. But what were your symptoms? Like you said you were an unwell man. You saw pictures of your 50th birthday. What, in what way were you unwell? I suppose the worst part of it are the nightmares. Like, I mean, absolutely horrific nightmares. You're dreaming that you're murdering people. I wake in the middle of the night. I won't know where I am. I won't know who I am. I definitely won't know who this person in the bed next to me is. Um, it's only her voice that I'll recognise. Right. Um, is I that have, even now, like? Oh, yeah. 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 And is that how it started? It, it is how it is how it started, and hallucinations like seeing things, seeing cars that weren't there, seeing animals that weren't there, not constant, mm. but enough to say what's what's going on here. You know, you'd mm. think you'd pass someone in the street and look around, and there was no one there, or you'd think you'd pass a car and there was no car there. You were like imagining things, or as we use the expression, seeing things. Right, that's one way of putting it, but. If I, if I have an hallucination, or if I say, right, there's a cat over there in that corner, there's no point in you telling me he's not there because I see him. Of course. So for someone like me, you need to go into their reality because if you go against them, I'll give you an example. Oh, that, that seems to be a common thing with dementia. Yeah. We get that dementia. Yeah. If someone says, if I say there's a person over there in the corner with a dagger and he wants to come at me and you say, no, 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 there's no one there. I automatically think that you're in cahoots with him. So I will become afraid of you. But if you say, look, as long as I'm around, you're safe, you'll be able to talk me around. Or I understand completely. And that's, uh, yeah. that's and, the most and, distressing part. And a Lewy body is, is literally a, a little thing that grows or forms in your brain. And is it, and this is purely a layman medical geek's expression here, and Helena, you can hop in and tell me I'm talking out my backside if I am, <laughs> that the Lewy body is something that has manifested itself in your brain and its presence affects your thought process. Is that what we're doing, what we're talking about here? Yes. So, um, Kevin's Lewy body dementia, they're actually folded proteins, alpha-synuclein is the name of them. And of course, they affect that part of the brain that affects cognitive decline. Therefore, um, when Kevin was diagnosed with Parkinson's first at age 51 and then diagnosed with young onset Lewy body dementia at age 53, before that, there was a whole, um, I suppose, a domino effect of loss in his life. Our old familiarity of our routines, our daily routines, like everybody else, had already changed by diagnosis in that... Um, the major, I suppose, for me, the, the, the most challenging of his symptoms are REM sleep behaviour disorder. 
This is the, the thing yes. with waking up. So nightmare. when the rest of us are in a nightmare or in a dream, our muscles freeze and we can't move. But with REM sleep behaviour disorder, Kevin can move about. His hands can move. He can get up and walk around. So if he's trying to kill an intruder into the house and he's he believes that this visual hallucination that he's seeing, this big tall man or a couple of them, he believes that they are there so he can move around. So for you, as his wife, sharing a bedroom with him, this must have been very frightening at the start. Yes, it is uh, hugely uh, frightening. However, he used to take um, this particular tablet called Rivetril and he started off on one and now he's on 10 per night. Okay. Come back to me. We'll talk about that in a sec, but come, come, the medication, because I know it, a lot of medication can control mm-hmm. this. But come back to this. So here you are in bed with your husband and he's having a nightmare. What's going on? Describe to me what's going on when Kevin's having a nightmare. Um, he could be shouting, he could be crying, he could be, uh, min- uh, I suppose, grimacing that somebody is attacking him. And then I will just keep repeating, Kevin, Kevin. And then after a while, he will um, hear my voice and know. He might even see me as a man. It's not that he sees me as Helena. I so I would always keep my distance because yeah. I have to protect myself wow. as well. It must have been terrifying the first couple of times when you had no idea what was going on here. Yes. Um, but uh, the, the symptoms of Louis body are, um, they're so, um, I suppose, they're just, you have to see them in action to believe them. Wow. And that is where um, our, our medics, I believe, were fantastic. Because I went into every appointment with Kevin. Mm -hmm. And while they always asked Kevin how he was, they always listened to what I said also. You were the direct witness to how this... this is how important it is. If you're living in the house with somebody with dementia, the person, the carer, their supporter Mm. needs to be there to answer some of the medic's questions. Because I see it 24-7 behind closed doors. Mm. Because a person with Louis body... Um, can show time and can make themselves, you know, kind of put petrol in the tank to come out. But Kevin could be in bed all day tomorrow. But today he has made a huge effort. And then the visual hallucinations, he doesn't drive anymore because of visual hallucinations. He would see cars or people. He doesn't work anymore because his executive skills deficit is huge and you, he kind of can't do two jobs, one following the other, but it's a lot, uh, it's a lot bigger than yeah, I that. Understand. So you're, you're his full-time carer. You're also the chair of the Dementia Carers Campaign Network. Kevin, come back to yourself. So you're sitting here having a perfectly normal conversation with me. But could that, could, could something manifest itself any minute for you or, or what's the story? No, um... I could be at home this morning, and to be honest with you, I I wasn't, but I could be in a terrible mood. But when I have to do something, I was in UCC a couple of weeks ago, and I was coming up by train, and to be honest with you, I didn't care whether I got on the train or got in front of the train. That's oh. that's the way my mood was. But when you're doing something like this, then it's like, it's your time. You know, you just go into a complete different personality, because I do so much public speaking, and I can be in terrible, terrible form before it starts. But when I'm there in that room full of people, I'm a full-time advocate now. Like, I'm 
vice chair of Alzheimer Europe. I'm chair of the Irish Dementia Working Group for the Alzheimer Society of Ireland. I'm co-founder of Louis Body Ireland. I'm involved in Dementia Trials Ireland. I'm with GBHI. I'm full-time at research. And why? Why? Why Why is it so important to you to do that work? I'll tell you something very simple. Dr. O'Toole asked me last year, what are you doing that's keeping yourself so good? Mm-hmm. Because she said, I'm just supplying the medication. So I told her what I was involved in. Mm-hmm. And she said, keep doing what you're doing. I look at my brain as a muscle. And I have two choices. If I don't use it, I lose it. Like you were talking about writing while ago. The one thing I hated going to school was writing. Yeah. Or reading. Or anything like that. And now I love it. I have a passion. And every one of us have it deep down inside. Every one of us have a passion. But we need to find it. And when we do, our lives become so much better. They become mm. so much more enhanced. Yeah. I don't know the meaning of the word no. And it's another thing that you're, you're kind of busting another myth in that when you hear the word dementia, we think wrongly that it takes your language and your love and your use of language. Yeah. You see, the first thing, the first thing about a person with dementia is, and I'm a big advocate for this, I honestly think there is no such thing as a touch of dementia or dementia on its own. It's an umbrella term. It's like saying... If you, if you went to a medical practitioner's office in the morning and they say you have cancer, they'd tell you what type, what stage and what the plan yes, is yes. going forward. It should be the same and people who have dementia should be treated the same because it's their right. Like, if you don't know what type of dementia, how can you treat it? I see. You know, you have to know it and that's where it begins. And the earlier it's cut on, that's why dementia trials are brilliant because they, they can check people and people coming forward to see do they have it and, and get it at an early stage. Yes, I see. And there's so much so much more that can be done and there's a lot of living to be done. You're living the life of Riley. You're just back from the, the Camino and I want to talk about that but talk to me about you. I know you have to you have to take medication. Like, Can you take medication to suppress these awful nightmares, for example? Um, yeah, I take... I take two, only two medications for my Lewy body dementia. One is Denizapil for hallucinations. I take one a day. Mm. And the other is the Rivetrol. And as Selena said, I started off on two, but I'm now gone to ten. And what they do is they slowly, or they decrease the severity of the nightmares. I see. So where I'd have... Are they a kind of a sleeping tablet or what? They're not really, and they work different for so many people let me put in context there's a very good friend of ours who has um, MSA multiple systems atrophy mm-hmm. multiple systems atrophy and Lewy body dementia are like identical twins it's pretty much only the name that separates them uh, people with epilepsy take the, the Rivetrol so it's it has a lot of different functions but okay. for me it works to reduce the severity okay. of has an effect on brain function yeah. and therefore reduces the severity of the nightmares. Now, the Camino. Oh my God. That was a trip I am never going to forget. How did it come about? Um, I always wanted to do it and five years ago I, I was on a walking frame. They did up my house uh, to get it wheelchair accessible. 
because you go from not walking to walking from to a wheelchair. But I had in the back of my mind all the time about doing the Camino. Now, I walk with the aid of a walking stick all the time, but I only do that because I lose my balance every now and again. And I, I always wanted to do the Camino, and then I thought, okay, you can do it in a wheelchair. And then I thought, no. So I put the idea out of my head, but I said, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And I got a message one day from a guy in Spain called Fernando Perez. And they were setting up this walking to talk for dementia. And would I be interested in it? And Professor Kate Irwin from DCU, Professor Elsie Leroy, who has rooms in St. James's and is at Trinity College, and actually Professor Brian Lawler came out for the last day. We, we spent seven days there last week. We spent four days walking. Mm. Your face, as you began to speak, your face has lit up with a smile the width of Patrick Street. <laughs> Why, Kevin? What what the, has happened to you out there? I, I still can't explain what has happened to me, but there was people with dementia, different types. There was people who were carers. There was professors. There was researchers. There was academics. There was all kind inside in the one bus. And the one thing that united us was there was no egos. We were all there for the one cause. And the proudest moment of my life is when... Sorry, please. Take your time, pal. Take your time. Take your time. It's when the eight of us who had dementia, we led our group, but not just our group, but 300 people from all over Spain who followed us into the square in Santiago. And um, I literally went down to my hands and knees and I kissed the ground. Because that morning, Fernando said to me, you don't have to do the whole walk today. It will be too much for you. And I said, no, I've been building up to this moment all of my life. How long was that walk? That walk was nearly seven kilometres. And I said, I am not going to stop. No, I like a few pints, as you can probably see, you're right. And I won't, I won't sing unless um, I have a few pints in me. And I bought an hour into it. And I don't know why, and I don't know where it came from. But I burst into song. You didn't. <laughs> and we sang the whole way home. And we all linked arms together. And it was a moment that I don't care how bad my dementia ever gets. The feeling of that week is never, never ever going to leave me. Were you there? It's, it's so special. It's, um, you know, I don't care. There's... There's loved ones that have people inside in care home facilities there and nursing homes. And maybe they're nonverbal. And maybe they're, you know, they, they, they think that they can't communicate. The one thing you will never lose is you will never lose a feeling. Or you will never lose the way a person made you feel. So that is why when you go in and see your loved one, they may smile. They may think you're your brother or sister or whatever, but they may smile and they're happy and for God's sake, what do any of us in life want to be only happier? It's funny, you know. Were you there, Helena? Yes, was. yes, yes, absolutely. And um, so uh, there was a whole lot, a couple of hundred carers as well. And we were there as supporters, but we walked as well. And it was a fantastic accomplishment for those with dementia and indeed for others as well. It was fantastic. And 
the one thing it proved uh, to us is that, yes, uh, Kevin has a diagnosis of um, Lewy body, which is um, a, a very insipid disease, really, and has lots of hidden manifestations. Mm. But there are good times. There are good moments of joy. Yeah. And the great thing about Lewy body is that there are fluctuations. So the Lewy body dementia can be like the Irish weather. You can have four seasons in one day. You can be very bad in the morning and he just has no petrol in the tank at all. And then in the afternoon, he could even go for a light little walk or something like that. But I think for carers who are listening, it is so important that carers need to look after their own health and well-being. In Trinity College in Dublin in 2013, they did research on spousal carers and they found that there was a higher percentage of spousal carers in Ireland with a, a higher percentage of chronic diseases such as high blood pressure, anxiety, depression, diabetes, etc., etc. We need to care for Therefore, the carers. it is essential that we take responsibility for our own health. We ask for support. We accept it when we, we're given it because sometimes we have this carer's guilt. Oh, we have to do it all on our own. Uh, but it is important to talk about it. And also for those uh, living with Lewy body, um, there's also, he has visual hallucinations, but he can also smell horrible odours. He can also hear people uh, talking around him. Um, there's an awful lot of hidden manifestations with Lewy body dementia mm. and uh, memory is not the major one, yeah. but confusion is. Yeah. Are the hard days very hard, Kev? They're, they're, they're very, very, very tough. They're, are, I put it like this to you, uh, Robin Williams is probably one of the, the most fa- famous people. Genius. That Genius. That ever had um, Louis by dementia. Did he? And he committed suicide. Did he have it? And at that time, um, he didn't know he had it. But and, but the doctors didn't know he had it. And, and um, the scans weren't available. I, I remember, I watched the film Robin's Wish and I, I actually have a friendly relationship with his wife, Susan Snyder-Williams, and Tyler Norwood, who directed the film Robin's Wish. And he asked, you'll see it in that film, he asked, do I have dementia? But at that time, you could guess, or you could summarise that, yeah, they have dementia, but it was only in a post-mortem they could say, yeah. And that in itself, for someone like Robin that committed suicide, for... The family to be told after, well, yes, he did commit suicide, but on the brain autopsy, the reason he did it was because he had the Louis Boy dementia. Ex- it doesn't bring him back, no. but doesn't it make the family's life that little bit easier that knowing this, this there was a reason behind it? This comic genius, this wit that was faster than the speed of light. I, I do the very same thing. The same thing as you have. I do the very same thing. I cover up. I can cover up pain, um, I can cover up anger, I can cover up fear with comedy, with a kind of being Jack Delight. Yeah. You know, um, and when I'm, feel, when I'm feeling down and out, and I actually wrote a poem, it's in one of my books there, um, it's called Kevin, Louie and Robin, and um, it's hanging over in his wife's house next oh, to okay. his portrait, which I'm very proud of. I'll come back to you, I want to talk a little bit more, I want to talk about Croom which yeah. is a, a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. a dementia-friendly town. And they also 
want to talk about your books and, and everything else. I'm talking to the incredible uh, Kevin Quaid and his wife, Helena. And lads, there's very few people come in here and knock <laughs> me sideways in my chair. But you've done it. We're back in a sec. Uh, Gary Barlow's after becoming a property developer. That's his new business now. Do you know he's had a couple of businesses? Yeah. He had a, a publishing company. I assume music publishing. He did that new show, Let It Shine. But he also uh, had Organic Wine, which sold over half a million bottles. He had that business where he created uh, pubs for shorter people. Didn't he? Barlow. <laughs> Limited. Gary Barlow Limited. Casey and Ross in the morning. Test drive the award-winning Skoda Enyaq electric SUV at no DC Cars. Skoda Sales Dealer of the Year. Corks 96.0. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier, all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So I'm talking to uh, Kevin and his wife, Helena. Kevin is 59, diagnosed with uh, Lewy body dementia, which, as I'm learning, is just one of many different types of dementia. And we're talking about how it affects Kevin and, indeed, it affects you, Helena. Um, I'll come back to it, because some advice maybe for people, families living with dementia, living with someone who has dementia of various different kinds. Uh, but talk to me about McCroom now. There's a big... It's 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 a... Dementia-friendly town. How important is it to you? And what does that actually mean in the first place? Well, I never realised how important it was until I was above in Killaloo, Bananab one day. That's on the Tip Clare border. And I went to a super value shop and there was a sign up on the door that said Kill- Killaloo, Bananab, Dementia-friendly community. Mm. 
While looking at that sign, I felt so safe. Look at the size of me. I'm six foot one and twenty stone. I could be afraid of nothing. I should be afraid of nothing. I'm terrified all my life. I am afraid of the dark. Um, I'm afraid of quietness. But I walked into that shop and I asked for the manager. And I shook hands with him, told him where I was, and told him I drew by dementia. And his face lit up. And I said, I am so delighted to see the sign. What does it mean? You know, what do you, what do you actually do? Is it, it's more than a sign. And he says, yeah, he said, we're a small community. Most people like yourself now feel safe. They can say we have dementia. They might need a couple of minutes, you know, to sort out their money or they might need to ask where's the bread or where's the milk. Just simple things that, that when their memory their memory is going. So I have to give a special shout out to Alberto, um, mm-hmm. AIB in um, McCroom. Mm-hmm. He's one of the leading lights and one of the forced volunteers mm-hmm. into making McCroom dementia friendly. Shall we say well known in this parish? <laughs> <laughs> but it's people it's people like that. Yeah. It's business it's business people like that. And that when the stickers will go up on the, the shops and the windows, that people like me are safe, feel safe in our town. And what's more is that people in the town will have an understanding. Like, I'm a blowing to Cantork. Mm-hmm. I'm living in Cantork. And when I launched my first book, I don't hide the fact that I have dementia. I got one of the biggest pubs in Kentucky and I had my book launched there. Good. And I told everyone about it. And you see, the upshot, the, the big, big plus is that when you go in, when I go into town, Helena can drop me off for a pint or a cup of coffee. People know me. And if they see me and I don't look right or I'm off colour or whatever, they'll just come up and say, are you okay? And I'm there, now, I'm there eight years, but I'm an advocate, we'll say, with six years. I'm just traced as Kevin Quaid mm. or that fella from Limerick, <laughs> you know. And I don't take myself too seriously. Mm. And I live in I live a normal life, but it it is so important. And I am so thrilled that McCroom McCroom is going to be a leading light for Ireland. To be honest with you, because the more towns like this that we have, and the more we can bring on board, the more we can get rid of the stigma. We can bring it out in the open, mm. and we can. Robin Williams once said, and I'm probably the same. The bottom line is, I want people and families to be less afraid when you get diagnosed. If you get diagnosed early enough, not everyone is going to be lucky enough to get diagnosed early enough. But if you do, there's help there. Yeah. And it's it's okay. We're there to help. Yeah. And there is help there for you. Have you ever come come across a thing called bringing this in now off my own agenda? Have you ever come across a thing called a jam card? I have one in my pocket. I have good for you. And good I also and I also have um does jam does jam card and let me go to my wallet that's full of everything but money. <laughs> <laughs> I have this as well. Please offer me a seat. I have an invisible dis- Oh, that's lovely. Because when you're on a train or something and there's people that won't want to talk. And if you just Show that card, as you can see, it's like the size of a credit card. You'll get it at any any train station. It, the same size as the Leap card. Yeah. Not that you mentioned Irish Rail are, are fantastic. They have them. But if you don't want to ask or don't feel comfortable asking someone, you know the designated seats that are there for people with walking sticks. Indeed, I do. You just show the card. 
and ninety percent of people, they're great nature, they're great empathy. They're going to give you a seat straight away. Can we talk a little bit about four and two families who are living with the different forms of dementia? I think that, for me, is the biggest education of the last thirty odd minutes we've been talking. The different types. I visited a family uh, several times last year where the man of the house has vascular dementia. And I was sitting chatting with him, interviewing him actually for this program, the Walsh's. And I, he, he, he doesn't speak and his mobility is, is gone. He's very dependent, the poor man. But I looked across at him and I saw into his eyes and he understood every word I was saying. And it was a, like a teaching moment for me, do you know? And I have a great friend whose who's dad is in his early 90s and has gone to a nursing home now and is back in his youth. It's hard for the families. Can you offer anything to the families about what's going on in that mind? It is very hard for the families. And just because a person is non-verbal doesn't mean they're gone deaf. Mm. doesn't mean they don't understand what's been said in front of them and probably at the later stages of dementia they don't need to know all the details so when you're at like at my stage I want to know what's going on but in my later stages I probably won't want to know everything that is happening Mm. I'll want to know happy memories I'll want to know I'll want to be taken back to a happy place. What do all of us want in life? Like, uh, We all just want to be happy. We want to be able to smile. We don't want to be sad. Mm. And I've seen in so many cases where a person will go into a neurologist or a GP or whatever, and their partner's with them, mm. and they're saying how bad it is and how bad it's going to get in the whole lot of that. Now, every person is different, but a lot of people don't need to hear that. Yeah. Maybe the family I need to hear that, you know. I always say, don't ask me what it's like to live with Louis Boyd dementia, because I haven't a clue. If you want to know what it's like to live with it, you have to ask my wife. And I'm about to do that. If you want to know what it's like to have it, then you ask me, because I'm an expert in very few things in my life, but I'm an expert in knowing what it's like to have it. Helena, I'll turn to you because I'm watching him speak to me and listening to him speaking. The whole of Cork is fascinated with this. There's people have stopped their cars and pulled in. They've sat down at their kitchen table. They've shoved the children in to watch cartoons and they are sitting. <laughs> That's it. I'm, I'm watching you watching him. And do you know what I see? An incredible amount of love. Well, incredible amount of love. Yes, absolutely. And I'm his supporter, but I'm also his caring companion. And as a caring companion, I would like to say to all the other caring companions out there listening, to a caring, I wrote a poem one time, and my last two lines were, to a caring companion, you are never in debt. As a caring companion, never gives to get. And I believe that we have to be so aware every day, even though, Kevin, as I said at the beginning, it's about loss when dementia comes into your life and loss of his true personality and loss of his uh, outgoing nature, I suppose, really. But Kevin's true personality is in there. 
and it comes out at, at different times and all of that. And I do always say that Kevin is exceptional from other people I know that has cognitive decline or Louis body, even though we don't know that many. He has a great bounce back ability. Mm. And I think that's uh, an innate personality. Um, I suppose it, he can get into that bounce back ability yeah. every now and then. Thank but you. what I would like to say, just in case we are giving the wrong impression to people listening, that medicine and Rivetril fixes everything. It doesn't. Yes. It is still a progressive, incurable disease. And Kevin's disease has progressed in the last eight years and before it. I can see it progressing all the time. Therefore, even though he's taking 10 Rivetril a night, he can still see foxes coming through the ceiling. He can still see me as a big black man who has come into the room. Or he might say... If I came into the bedroom, he'd say, um, I thought you just went out and who were the two women that were with you? Um, even though he's still on that medicine. Mm. Um, but what I, do you do? With it? What do you, how do you answer that question? I just say, all right, I, I don't, because I have to go into his reality. I can't contradict what he sees, mm -hmm. what he hears, um, you know, people talking and all of that. I can't contradict him. Because at that moment in time, that they're is there. Kevin's reality they're in there. cognitive yeah. decline. So I say, all right, okay, I, I make, you know. All I'm disappointed is the two women have left. I don't mind telling you. You, I, uh, were, you were saying about families, and I think the one thing that's very, very important, and you're going to have families where the person that's there has dementia, and the stigma is still around it. But if you need help, pick up the phone and dial 1-800-341-341. That's the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland's helpline. Mm. Talk to them. They are absolutely fantastic. Okay. Because you may, you may be going on this journey on your own. And there are people listening this morning that are on their journey alone. Because the husband is saying to the wife, I want no one to know about it. Or the wife is saying, we can't tell anyone about it. Yeah. And it's themselves that are hurting. So at the very least, pick up that, that pick up the phone okay. and have, have a speak to have a, have a talk to them. Eddie says, I have a sister with early onset dementia. I'm crying tears of joy. Listening. Good man, Eddie. Right. Um, fabulous couple, brilliant advocates, inspiration. Sounds like you're living life to the full. That's from Dave. I'm in, in my kitchen in tears listening to the pride and emotion in Kevin's voice. That's from Mandy. I had to pull in off the road to listen to him on the radio. I had a brother with dementia and he was a wonderful person too. And there's just lots of them there. As I don't mind telling you, I'm, I'm half in tears myself That's listening to the two of you here. Briefly and finally, the books. Um, Louis Body Dementia Survival and Me. And then I'm Kevin, not Louis. And there's a third one. Yeah, I have gone to press. No, it's not going to press. Um, it's not even finished, but it's it's the first book was a book where you have to get you get to know me um, about my diagnosis and how we as a family dealt with it. And I have three children, three stepchildren, one of my brothers and a good friend of mine. They all wrote a piece in it, what it's like for them. So you get the whole package in the first book of what it's like going from not having a diagnosis to what I think may have led up to it. Yeah. But the second book then is what can be achieved after a diagnosis. 
Okay. The, the road that I've come, the journey that I've come, and my next book is going that bit farther again. Like, the connection that's there with music, the arts, the whole lot. We wrote a song there recently that, uh, that's everyone in Ireland is going to hear. Yeah, you were saying to me that even people who don't speak anymore because of their dementia, they can sing. They can sing. That's, wow. that's the most amazing thing about it. And if you have someone at home, and there possibly is, and if this only helps one family this morning listening to you, mm. this programme has been worth it. If you have a mother or a grandmother or a father and they're walking around with a songbook, let it be the wolf tones or something, put on one of the songs in that book and listen to them sing, and I'll tell you one thing, it's going to make your world a different place. I want to finish both with you briefly with the, a, a different question to you both. Um, Kevin, first of all, there's probably somebody listening to us right now who has had a diagnosis and is struggling big time to come to terms with what they've been told. Any minute, speak directly to them, not to me. Whoever has listened to this, I've been there. I have been exactly where you are. And for six years, believe it or not, I thought I was the only one in Ireland that had Louis Wye dementia. But I'm not. And I can tell you now as I sit here, don't be afraid. You're not alone. There are people like me here to help you. And like the Camino, the last year, I'll take you by the hand and we'll walk hand in hand with this journey together. And we will cry and we will cry a lot, but I'll tell you one thing for certain and two things or nothing. We'll have a lot of laughs along the way. So please, 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 do not be afraid to reach out for help. We have things called Tea Time with Louis, where people can come in anonymously and listen once a month. I give up. Can you give up? Can I give up my email to people? You can. That want to, it's Indeed you can. Kevin Quaid nine K E V I N Q U A I D nine at gmail dot com. Okay, we'll share all this anymore. Just send me an email. Okay. Just an email and and your name and address and not not your address or your name. Okay. And the help is there. For God's sake, use it. You, not only your life, but your family's life will become a whole lot easier. And Helena, for the families. Yeah, for families and carers, we have to remember that any diagnosis of whatever type of dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's type, uh, cardiovascular, frontotemporal or Lewy body, or indeed many of the others, um, this is a family disease. It's a family diagnosis and it impacts the family in all different ways and every member in a different way. And there is an anticipatory grief that comes with a diagnosis such as an incurable disorder or a progressive disorder, as in Lewy body, there's no curative medicine for it. Um, therefore, it's support. It's chatting about uh, this, the lived experience, um, giving each other strength shoulder to shoulder. And the most important thing of all is the day you get the diagnosis is not a diagnosis of death. There's always hope. There's hope for a better tomorrow. There's hope for good days. There may be very bad hours in the middle of it and very bad moments, but there are good days, moments of joy. And coming back from the Camino, that just proved it. Okay. By God, we were all alive. That's 
I sometimes this old job you come across people and they impress you and then they leave and you move on I'll struggle to move on from this you have been the most extraordinary company for the last three quarters of an hour to Kevin and Helena Quaid thank you both thank you so so much thank you Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Lads, I'm not worth toppings after that. You guys ready? We're jiving, we're The big drive home weekdays from four on Cork's ninety six FM. The one second song. It's been wrecking heads all over Cork for weeks now. It's frustrating. It's doing my head in. It's infuriating. Oh, no. And someone needs to put a stop to it. Does this song even exist? <laughs> Tune into the Big Drive Home for your chance to play every weekday from four. The Big Drive Home with Nyan Motors, your number one for Kia in Cork. Cork's ninety six FM. What an extraordinary couple! Uh, Gillian says that's one of the most amazing interviews I've heard in a long time. And I'm a carer. Oh my God, you've highlighted what I wanted to say so much. There's a person behind every dementia case. I work in dementia care, but I love them so much. I've also volunteered for voluntary work. And his wife, Helena, what a beautiful person. They're both fabulous people. Kate says, what a fabulous couple. Brilliant advocates that Kevin and Helena are. Guys, that was brilliant, says another Helena. My husband had dementia. It's like hearing my own story. My name is Helena too. I'm glued to the radio. Well done to everyone at Cool Cower House in McCroom. They host daycare for dementia sufferers once a week and they're a fantastic resource. I'm here in the kitchen in tears listening to the pride and emotion in Kevin's voice, says Mandy. People pulling in by the side of the road, people stopping what they're doing. Yeah, it's been one of those stop moments and it's great to have them on the Opinion Night. If you need to get more information or more help, it is out there, as you've heard from Kevin and Helena, the Alzheimer's Society of Ireland is a good starting point and they have a, a phone number, 1-800-341-341, 1-800-341-341. And should you wish to contact Kevin directly, you can do so via email. And his email is kevinquaid 9 at gmail.com. Kevin Quaid, K-E-V-I-N-Q-A-I-D, 9 at gmail.com. The minds are live. Hello. Join the conversation. Call 0818 969696. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Whoa, a lot of love in the room and on the various platforms for Kevin. And for Helena, his his two books are called I Am Kevin, Not Louie, and Louie Body Dementia Survival, and Me. And uh, he signed them both for me. And it's just incredible people to meet and to talk to. Gillian, one of the most amazing interviews I've heard in a long time. Uh, Helen, my mother, my brother has dementia. Uh, it's He's non-verbal, and it's heart-wrenching to go to the nursing home to see him great interview and what a fantastic couple says Helen I'm a carer and you've highlighted exactly what I wanted to say I think I read that one up before and I work in dementia care but I also volunteer what a beautiful person what a beautiful couple fabulous couple brilliant advocates says Kate wish them well guys that was brilliant says Kevin my husband had dementia it's like hearing my own story and that's the kind of response that you hope 
for. Um, thank you. I know Helena goes glued to the radio. Again, mentioning lots of people calling to tell us about Cool Car House in McCroom, and they host a daycare uh, se- uh, session for dementia people once a week, and they're a fantastic resource there. I remember playing DJ uh, at weddings in Cool Car House years and years ago for the late great Ted Dunn, place I know well, I haven't been there for a long time. People telling us that they've pulled their cars in by the side of the road. Uh, they've stopped what they were doing and sat at the kitchen table drinking a cuppa and listening. And that's what it's all about. That is what it's all about. 0818 96 96 96. Come here, this time two weeks, we will be right in the thick of it. It'll be the second day. It'll be Jersey Day, in fact, in the middle of the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radiothon. We are counting down. There is time to get on to us at 96fm.ie. Get yourself a pack and you can do anything you want you can have a coffee break you can collect your loose coins join us on Jersey Day do a cake sale or a bake sale as long as it's legal you can do it to raise money for the Corks 96 FM Giving for Living Radio Town which runs from the 25th to the 27th of May only on Corks 96 FM now Lar. Now, Corcoran, this happened last last week. Uh, you're still getting yourself together from it. Um, the Doe Hut in Douglas Park. I know it. I know the area well. What what happened to you? Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Um, yeah, so last Friday night, Saturday morning, uh, some two lads broke into our premises. We have a small little horse box there for the last five years or so. Um, we... They were there for about three or four minutes. They didn't do a whole pile of damage. They just damaged uh, the donut machine, but a bit more by accident than anything. But they just took her cash box, and worst of all, they took the girls' tips that were on site. Um, so yeah, they just they knew what they were doing. They were there dressed in black and had their flash lamps. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, so it was a bit uh, distressing to come in Saturday morning to find that. Mm. But, um, you know, it's just disappointing, really, that in all the five years we're there, we've never had any trouble in the park. It's been great, and, you know, we've had great support there. Um, but for that to happen, it just, you know, it just... Um, Soul-destroying. Yeah, it was, you know, just to know that somebody had broken into our premises and... We're just a small family business, and you know it was, it was just uh, it got to us really. You're, you know, you're, you're a feature there in the park, and any kind of an event that's on, there'll be a queue, and that's a sure sign that you're doing something good up there. You know. Yeah, well, I, I have to say, PJ, the support that we've had since we opened there, uh, Billy Coleman from the Douglas Community Association was the one who brought us in there. Uh, unfortunately, Billy passed away a couple of years ago. I know, yeah. um, but, you know, like, he gave us a, a living, basically, for our family. Uh, and the people of Douglas and surrounding areas have been incredible. They were so good to us that we were able to open in Douglas Court last year um, and just expand, you know. So um, we've, we've been very lucky. Yeah. There's no actual damage done to the gear, so presumably you can start to... Yeah, again. yeah. Like we were, we were open on Saturday afternoon. It, it just took us a couple of hours just to get organised and stuff. But um, thank God, like it could have been a lot worse. 
you know, they had access to it. They could have damaged the machines, which are worth a lot of money. Mm. Uh, they could have damaged the trailer. They, they could have done a lot more damage. Mm. We yeah. were really very lucky. They, they were very determined. They, they just wanted money and they got it and they took it and they made away with it. That it, it. Now, the guards are on to this. Any luck with that? Uh, not at the moment. Look, we have CCTV footage and I've been in contact with a couple of the local businesses as well. So they're going through their footage, uh, you know, just to see did they leave their guard down as they walked past any of those premises, you know, maybe took their hoods down and took their hats off. You just never know. We might get lucky. Okay. Um, I, sincerely, you know, I sincerely hope that you do. My my boy is weak for your, for your toes. <laughs> and when he heard, he heard that the, the door hood had been robbed and he said, Dad, I hope they still be open. <laughs> yeah, like, to be fair, we've had great support from everybody over the last couple of days. Like, the girls have had their tips back and more from Brilliant. the generosity of people just Brilliant. coming up. You know, just literally just putting five and ten euros in their tip jar. It's It's been incredible. So, That's yeah. That's yeah, lovely. it was. It was great. No, the support from people, even online, you know, the post that we put up, we got great support from it. Mm. Uh, it really did blow us away. All right. Well, here's hoping that that uh, the, the the perpetrators will be caught for what they did to you and to the girls and to your own wonderful business. Lar, thank you and uh, continued success for the Doe Hut. If you haven't tasted their donuts yet, you haven't lived. They're gorgeous, fresh. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Now we don't normally do lost and found pets because there are so many pets go missing and everybody's pet is the most important pet that ever went missing ever anywhere in the whole world in the since the dawn of time we know that but mooncake is a special case apart at all from the wonderful name mooncake Neve, good morning hi how are you i'm grace how she, she is beautiful tell me about her she is. Um, so she's four and a half. Um, she's a tabby and tortoise shell mix, which is it luckily kind of stands out because, you know, tabby is a dime a dozen. Um, she's never gone missing before. And I have rang every vets in Cork. I have posted on pages all around the country in case she got in the van all around Cork. I'm lucky to have many, many people keeping an eye out for her, sharing posts all over Facebook and Instagram. And um, I'm desperate to get her home because she has an illness. Um, it's called inflammatory bowel disease. Yeah. And it's kind of like colitis in humans. And she needs a special diet as well as daily medication. Um, and I'm worried now at this point yeah. that she She's going to be in pain without it. She's missing she, since the third of May, so she hasn't had she her is, meds yeah. in over in over a week. Now, yeah. she's a special cat for a particular reason. You have yeah. epilepsy, and how she? What does she do when you have an attack? Um, what she does is basically she'll stay with me, um, and she'll curl up next to me. Um, I don't remember before, during, or after my seizures, so. It's basically like coming around from a blackout and not knowing what's happened. And it's very disorienting um, and upsetting 
And so when she comes and tries to take care of me in her way, it's so comforting. It she really helps move up next to you. Is it in pores on you? Is that it? Yeah. And, um, well, besides the epilepsy, my main problem is actually um, ME, CFS. Um, so myalgic encephalomyelitis and chronic fatigue syndrome, which includes a lot of pain. Yes. And the purring of cats, um, it's not just when they're content. It's also been scientifically proven to have healing properties because yes. of the frequency and vibration. Yes. And um, when I'm in pain, she will come to me. She will lay on me, stay with me for days. Um, mm. When I'm in pain, she won't go out on her adventures or anything like that. Um and it, it helps. It really helps. She wasn't trained for this. She was a kitten found in Aldi in Tipperary. Just a regular kitten. Um, you know, and I, I'm missing her greatly for it. When, when you'd have a, a seizure or an episode, mm-hmm. Neve, and you'd come round, yeah. is, is hers the first little face you'd recognise? Yeah. Um, asking maybe whoever's talking to me. It really depends if someone has heard me going into the seizure or not, you know. Would she sense that a seizure is coming? Would she have some... That now I don't know because I only have breakthrough seizures every three to four months and it's not frequent enough. And because I don't have any heads up that they're coming and I can't remember beforehand, you know, like maybe 20 minutes before I have the seizure, I have no memory of that time. I see. So I won't know what she's done. All I know is that her in- intention is immediately to go take care of me in the best way she can and that's often just laying on me or next to me and doing whatever she can with her little self to, to protect me. When when did she last? You last saw her on May 3rd. Where? Mm-hmm. Um, at home. Okay. But, um, in Glanmire and Brook Lodge. Uh, so last last place I saw her there's I'm just on the brink where the city goes to county so behind my house there's a lot of fields where she'll often go play Um, she's trained to come back to her name so when I'm out like a lunatic calling the name Mooncake uh, usually I get a response from her Uh, so I began to get worried you know as the night went on she hadn't come home I thought god okay I'll leave a window open and I'll you know get up in the middle of the night and check and nothing and, you know, cats will be cats and they'll go do their thing. You, you sure um, she doesn't have a second home? Because lots of them do. <laughs> no, she, that's the thing. She is very devoted. Mm. Um, and I know she would not go find a second family. She just wouldn't. She's obsessed. You know, mm. like she mm. is very, very loving to me, yeah. kind of only though she's like I a know. one human cat. And so, something um, else about cats too, and you you may know this, Neve, you may not. They rarely wander more than about fifty to a hundred meters in a radius of where they live. Yeah, yeah. Like um, I know she goes out to check her territory, and that's primarily behind my house in a field where she's safe. Um, the only thing is, she has been known to get in cares just because she's nosy. Um, so there is such a high chance that she could have gotten in someone's car or van and ended up elsewhere. I I did get a message from someone on Facebook last night to say that they saw a cat somewhat like her 
um, that seemed confused and out of place in Washgrass Hill behind the hot bar. So I went there last night, but it was a bit late. I couldn't see anything. I, okay. I couldn't call her. I'm not physically able to go walking around the place. So I put up some flyers. But if anyone in Watergrass Hill has seen a cat like that, um, and just any chance at all could take a picture or video, okay. I mean, just in case. I mean, she could have gotten in a van. At this point, she could have got there herself. Yeah. You know, walking through the fields. Something else I did for you this morning is I, my my daughter's a veterinary nurse, so I popped mm-hmm. the picture over to oh, her. Thank you. And she's got thank a. You. There's a big WhatsApp group of nurses from around the city and county. Thank you. That's so very that'll, kind. That'll have gone out to any of them that maybe missed the call. But the, yeah. talk to the name. I have to ask you. Now. Oh God. Yeah, <laughs> she's actually named after a cartoon character from a show called Final Space. Right. And at the time, I didn't realise that people hadn't watched it and no one was going to know why she was named that. Um, so, yeah, she's just named after an incredibly cute cartoon character with big eyes and she has these massive green eyes. She has. Um, she's stunning. A big she's, she's a stunning pretty little thing, cat. isn't she? She's beautiful. Yeah. I had a cat one time called Mooney. Moon, yeah. Moonwalker. So yeah, there's, oh, a, there's a weird name. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. Uh, my other pets have equally weird names. I have another cat called Linda. So. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, look, the, the picture is being shared far and wide. She also has this distinctive, well, from the pictures here, and you might, she has a little collar with a little bell on it, but she's got this yeah. distinctive little barrel that people yeah. would recognise. So that's a canister, and when you twist it open, it has my information. So it has my name, uh, my number, and my air code. Now, the only thing with cat collars is that um, they break away. They're made yes. to break away in case a cat gets stuck and is in trouble, and she has lost so many collars. So whether she still has it on or not, I really couldn't say. Okay. She is microchipped, yeah. um, so it should show up uh, if a vet was to check her. Um, okay. but it's right. impossible to know if she still has it really Alright, well here's hoping that she shows up safe and yeah, well Thank you so much for, um, for your help and taking the call not, not at all I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a, well, I, dogs and cats but I'm, I'm a cat yeah. person and, and when they wander you worry Of course, yeah because yeah. I mean I just, to be honest even if someone rang and said look hey, I saw a cat knocked down or I knocked a cat down myself it would just just to know, know. what no. happened. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Neve, I hope she shows up. Mooncake, the missing cat, missing from Glenmire. Possible sighting, possible sighting around Watergrass Hill in the last day or two. She's microchipped, microchipped and all of these things. And there is a, a number you can call. And she has this little barrel around her collar if you should come across her. And she's... Got the most gorgeous green eyes. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six, and she has this very special skill of comforting Neve when Neve's in pain or when she's had one of her seizures. We really, really do want to find that cat. 
Thank you for your loyalty. We actually bought a radio just to listen to you because we know music. Your heartfelt honesty. I want to thank yourselves without you backing us, putting it on the air and telling the people how important it is and it wouldn't have gone anywhere. And your absolute comedy. What are you looking forward to for the summer? Get up to a bit of the whale watching up around the north side or something. <laughs> <laughs> whale watching up the north side? <laughs> <laughs> I'll be shot, love. <laughs> I have to praise you like I should. The latest radio ratings are out, and we want to say a massive thank you for listening. 231,000 people listen to Quartz 96 FM and C103 every week. Source JNLR Ipsos MRPI 2023 1. Thank you for listening to Cork's 96 FM. Hashtag choose radio. Can you repeat Kevin's email? Great story from uh, Tim O'Leary. Of course, Kevin Quaid's email uh, is Kevin Quaid 9, num- the number 9, at gmail.com. Kevin Quaid 9 at gmail.com. Listening to Kevin on your show, amazing interview. But what I wanted to say was my husband is waiting on a diagnosis. But after everything Kevin said, I think I know what it's going to be. Thanks to Kevin. Fantastic man. That's from Geraldine. It's facing some of us, says Michael. Really enjoyed uh, talking about, uh, listening to the man talking about dementia. Also from earlier, uh, the students going abroad. We got this figure earlier on about the number of medical students from UCC from the class of 2022, 74 Medical students graduated and 66 of them have gone to Australia. That came into us from Mary. Hello, I'm at work now, but I was listening to PJ this morning about the graduates who went to Australia. Yes, I'd say this is very true. And I'd like to find out it's not just medical professionals. There's hundreds of engineers gone too. My son, an engineer, is there and so are most of his college friends. And hundreds of teachers are gone too. The Minister for Education needs to make it easier for young, newly qualified people out of college to get jobs. They have teachers in particular have to reapply every year for the same job. No wonder they're all leaving. Great show. Thanks, PJ. 0818 96 96 96. Now, there's a show you might want to go, you know, strictly for adults, there's a show you might want to go to at the weekend put together by the Cork Penny Dinners and the High Hopes Theatre Group. Is there anything that they won't try with the High Hopes people? And it's fantastic. I'll jump with Katrina in a sec. But it's called Behind the Curtain. And it'll be performed on Sunday the 14th at Cree Nalee. Uh, Marion Wyatt is the writer, director and producer and joins me as too does Katrina Toomey. I'll talk to Katrina in a sec. Marion, good morning. Good morning, PJ. This is said to be very much for grown-ups, but based on real life. What's it about? It's about the real-life experiences of the members, the original founding members of the High Hopes Theatre Group. And I'd like to clarify that I'm not the writer. I'm the person who actually dramatised the dialogue or put a shape on it, if you like. Okay. But the actual the actual play itself was written by the members um, from their lived experiences or close members of their family okay. or friends. And so, so it's their own it's words. With, 
and you've just put it into a form. Exactly. And through the workshops, which really kind of was the earlier part of this process, each each step of the way, they would come up with maybe like a line or a word or a phrase might be the catalyst for an idea. Or as we now would very commonly say, could trigger a memory or trigger an emotion. So just as a facilitator then of the group workshop, I would stay with that to see where it would come. So it has inherent drama in it, but it could be upsetting for people. That's why we're saying don't, you know, we've put an age on it um, because it's powerful in its dramatic um, information, shall we say. The the banner line is it's called Behind the Curtain. It could be you, anyone, anywhere, anytime. In other words, this could affect any of us. Exactly, and that that's come from the, the the group who've written it as well, and the title. They've t- taken ownership of us. The only only area that really that they needed help with was just form, and and process in terms of how we get something to meet the public. Now, all along the way, they've always known we may not put the actual process of, uh, you know, telling their story within the group in a safe place and using it to deliberately structure something that would raise awareness um, for people to where to go to get help if they're struggling. Mm. So anyone, anywhere, anytime is very true. Anywhere in the world, anyone, anywhere, anytime. And then behind the curtain, I think, was a beautiful idea that came from, from them because they were saying during COVID, people were so isolated. But that Cork Penny Dinners are very well aware of people who are still isolated, especially uh, senior people and people who live alone. Um, so that that gave us the title. Mm-hmm. Let's see. And it all their stories already give us characters. The characters are very true to life, but then for dramatic purposes and fictionalizing, uh, that's where I helped mm-hmm. essentially. Okay, bring Katrina in at this point. Hi, yeah, uh, how are you, Katrina? Hi, PJ, I'm good, thank you. Is I'm there good. anything that this High Hopes group won't put their hands to? No, because, you know, we feel there's a niche there for everybody and we're just opening up those niches. And, you know, for me personally, just to work with Marion again, because I've known Marion's work for years and years, and I know she produces the goods, you know, but... Mm. and. It taps into everything and she just does magic and it's happened again with this. I've been in to see some parts of the, the play already and, you know, it is very emotional and raw, as she said. And um, you, you have people that have never acted before, you know, coming together to do this and to put the story together. And, and, and Marion, you know, weaved everything together for everyone at their pace as well. Mm-hmm. And um, it's going to be wonderful. And I think maybe maybe I, I'll ask Marion publicly now because loads of people want to go and see we might have to run it again because we're limited with our own size over in James Street and we want to make James Street a place for everyone look if you want to just skip we'll, we'll organise it for you over there because I think we need to go back to somebody said the other day do you know what it is Katrina it's the basics of love you know that you're enjoying doing things that you do and one of, one of the guys in the place John has said he's always wanted to act all his life I know this is coming true for him so it's that kind of a thing but I knew Marion, there was nobody, only Marion that was going to be able to do this. And um, it's, 
it's wonderful. It's um, emotional and powerful. Yeah. This is officially a world premiere. So yes. who's, to, who's to say bigger stages don't lie ahead? Exactly. You know, we're not going to stop there because we have, um, I've spoken to Marion about a big thing that I have, you know, for um, a big production, maybe the Opera House. And um, so, you know, small beginnings and we lead to greater things. But uh, we have um, we have a, a storyline, I suppose, you know, in place, you know, and something mm-hmm. that we've been working on right. down through the years in Penny Dinners, which the material is going to come from. And Marion... You're no stranger yourself to putting on productions that start really small and end up on big stages. Who knows? Could be onto something here. Exactly. But what's wonderful, PJ, what's wonderful to see is in a moment to see somebody have the courage to actually express an idea and then to see the idea be developed. So um, Katrina mentioned John there. But we have people from all cultures and we have uh, people who have never been on stage before um, and people who like to sing at home in the bathroom. Do you know what I mean? Like a lot of us like to sing around in the shower, but we, we don't want to sing publicly. But now they, these are people who sing inside in the Cork Penny Dinners headquarters every day to kind of keep the spirits up and keep things going. And we're showing that in the play as well. That it, So it, the play is not all about the sadness. It's about hope. Um, which ties in, of course, into that wonderful title, High Hopes. Yes. So they do have, they, they, what the play does have is it shows you where you can find the help. And also it highlights very much the positivity and the power and the success of those who are in recovery and how they're they're leading, they're showing the way um, to others. You know, like if you don't know where to go, somebody needs to take you by the hand and help you. And they will. But you have to ask. And they will. And that's what's wonderful about it. So the, the performance details, Sunday afternoon, where and what time? Three o'clock. Um, it's about an hour in, in, in duration. Um, again, it's the style of theatre. Anything could happen. You know what I mean? Somebody might add another line or take away a couple of lines and that's okay too. And uh, then it come, it's on again in the evening at eight o'clock. And Katrina and her people have, have laid on some lovely re- refreshments for those who are coming to see it. Mm-hmm. And um, we're, we're, it's going to be nice. Katrina, yeah, if people don't nice. know how to get there. Well, we I think we could be, I think this is where I said that we might have to do it again because there is such a demand for, for tickets and because we're limited in the amount we have. We think we're probably going to be sold out, as is, maybe. Fantastic, fantastic. And um, but and, and the tickets are free as well because, again, it's about all of us helping each other. And, you know, so it'll, it'll be free and it means that people can can attend, you know, that mightn't be able to afford us, you know. Well, if, there but, are, yeah. if, there are, if there are any tickets left or anyone wants to inquire for that they can go to eventbrite.ie look up behind the curtain Marion I'll leave you there and good luck with everything on Sunday Katrina stay with me for a minute darling the okay. dresses and the shoes you're at oh. it again yes you know I think you know it's uh, bittersweet it's um, it's it must be the nicest thing that we, one of the nicer things that we do because it's lovely you don't see that happiness or our joy, you know, unconditional joy. Or, but when you see a child smile at the mother or the father, like that they've gotten their dress or gotten their suit and they're over the moon. You've been doing oh, this for a few years now. 
we have we've been doing it for a long time we kind of started officially i think around 2015 and um before that like we would have only maybe one or two but then kind of when people heard about it they started coming and we didn't have them so we took it a bit serious then and we put out an appeal for them and we got them and it still happens every year. People get in touch with us. You know, my daughter has the communion dress she only wore it once and it's beautiful and they bring it down and, you know, the child will give it to make some other child happy. And it's the same with the boys, you know. How many have you, how many have you helped this year? We have, I think, 36 dresses. I think it was a 17 boys for communion. 20-odd pairs of shoes went out. There was only one went out there now this morning as well. Somebody couldn't get a size and we had it and uh, they just couldn't get it. And uh, just in two minutes, like, and the mother just looked at us and she says, I, you know, I don't know what to say. Like, but she mm. says, you have no idea. She said, I've been, all, you know, backwards and forwards and everywhere and on the internet. And she said, I, I just could not get them. And um, then she said, like, that, you know, she was saying she was willing to pay for it. Like, you know, and we said, no, 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 no. It's a gift. Like, because... You know, we're gifting children, like, that's all we're doing. You know, but we're giving them, you know, I suppose, a magical moment. Like, yes, And it's, yeah. I think what we're creating is a memory, PJ, yeah. and a good memory. Yeah. It's not a memory of them going to penny dinners for a dress, or for a suit, or for a tiara for their head or something like that. They yeah. think they're going to a shop. And, you know, we always say things like, oh, your mammy paid their, you know, online and it's all sorted, like, Fantastic. and so, like, yeah, we, we try to let all that go as well. That's magic and great to, see, great to see it continue. Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners and before that Marion Wyatt, writer, director and producer. And the show is called Behind the Curtain. Eventbrite.ie is where you might, if you're lucky, get a ticket for it. And it is free and it's on Sunday at 3 and 8 o'clock. But I have a feeling we shall hear more about this production and it will move to bigger stages. 0818 96 96 96. Well, we won't be there. It'll be happening without us, but it will. Sarah Shemakin, is it your first Eurovision? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, PJ. Uh, yeah, first time attending. I've never missed it on TV, but first time attending in, uh, in real life. <laughs> yeah, it's bigger than real life, isn't it, when you're there? It is. It's quite a surreal experience, actually, to be honest with you. Um, you know, to you know, to see all as as Eurovision act, it's uh, as Eurovision fans are. It's nice to see all of the acts um, in the arena, but it's also nice to see all of the other things that goes on because a lot of the time people think that it's just those three shows that you see on TV yeah. over the week. But there's a whole you know, there's a whole thing to it. There's different um, clubs and festivals all related to it as well, happening all over the city and mm-hmm. and things like that. So there's a really great atmosphere over here in Liverpool at the moment. Yeah, we're in the Cavern Club the other night. Sam Ryder, I think, played the Cavern Club and and this Euro Club that's that's huge yeah Euro Club is big so it's kind of two um, two clubs in in one building and uh, there's different uh, Eurovision acts from past and present that play at them so we went to see Jedward there last night for example who were absolutely what? fantastic where were they um, Jedward were there <clears throat> They were there last night, yeah, at Euro Club, and uh, did a fantastic job. They played uh, both of their Eurovision songs and a few other ones as well from uh, ones that they had released previously. And, Let me remember, lipstick. Uh, yeah. Lipstick was one of them. What was the other one? Oh God! The other one was Waterline. The other one was Waterline. That, yeah. uh, that was the year. That was the year Sweden last one actually. I believe. That's right, Lorraine won in. in yes, yeah. yeah. 
Brilliant. That's right, yeah, Brilliant. Yeah. And the, the, there's a, the, the Euro, the, the, they have the huge fan zones, the Euro Village, because I don't think anyone who's never been there, Saoirse, realises for the city itself, this is a, this is a two-week music festival. It is, absolutely, yeah. And um, it's great for the businesses because they've all been able to take advantage of the, uh, the you know, thousands of people from all over Europe and Australia and everything that have come along for it. So it's been... It's been absolutely fantastic for the for the city. You know, you can, can the whole place has really come alive a lot. I I hadn't been to Liverpool before. I'd wanted to come for a long time. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, you can tell that everyone's really getting in on it, and um, it's uh, it's fantastic. And there's a great vibe over here. Right were now. you in the arena for last night or Tuesday? Yeah. So we were in for the um, for the shows, and um, we were going. We went to the. Uh, we're going to all three shows. So what oh, we're brilliant. going to is the so what we're going to is the um, afternoon um, dress rehearsal preview shows. So what happens is that they run through the entire show exactly right. as it is uh, broadcast um, that evening. Then, and um, that includes the, uh, the voting and everything. But because the uh, real voting hasn't yet taken place, they just do fake proxy voting. And That's right. uh, so you're just, going to that um, one. That you're, I've, I've actually been at, mis- at that myself in, in years gone by. There, there's a full rehearsal. Everything is done exactly as it will be done. That's done on Friday. You're going to that. Um, so we've we've been to the afternoon ones that happened a few hours before the live show. So on Tuesday, for example, we went to the one pm, the one thirty pm one, right. and then Tuesday night, a few hours later, then was the was the live show itself. We did right. the same again um, Thursday uh, for the second semi final, and we're doing the same again on Saturday then for uh, the grand final. Fabulous. So we'll go to that one um, again uh, in the arena on Saturday. What was the feeling when Wild, Wild Youth didn't make it? Uh, yeah, look, I suppose there was mixed feelings. There was uh, a lot of people, I suppose, that kind of expected we might not get through. Um, but then there was also a, a good few that were, were hoping mm. we would. We had a lot of um, uh, we had a lot of um, compliments from from other countries on uh, yeah. on our performance, and actually a lot of um, uh, of all of the con- uh, nationalities who I spoke to, I found that mm. British people in general who weren't actually able to vote in the first semi final had really enjoyed. Yeah. Well, Duke, you know, but I mean, look, we just need to um, uh, get behind our, our ex and support them yeah. and yeah. make sure that they're, um, you know, ready to, to go over there. And that's what we need to look at doing a bit yeah. better, I think, in the future, you know. Your, your, head, your, heart says, your heart says Norway, but your head says Finland, I think, in terms of the win. Fin- yeah, remind look, people, I, we'll I, remind I, people of Finland. It's, that's popular over there. It, it is. It's very popular over here. Everyone really, really enjoys Finland. And I love them. Uh, Finland are my second favourite act this year after Norway. I think Finland are most likely to win it. Um, but we'll see what happens. You know. But what was really interesting that we noticed is that if you look at all of the acts that competed in the first and second semifinals, um, just as, an, as a point of note, I guess, for us for the future even, is that um, all of the acts that qualified, or sorry, not all of the acts are qualified, but all of the um, acts who sang in their native languages qualified uh, for the finals. So, That's interesting. Uh, all of the non-qualifiers were English song, English uh, That's language That's an songs. interesting stat I hadn't picked up on, Saoirse. That's a good one, and it's 70. Yeah. It'll be 50 years next year, I think. We sent 
Kjolan Graw by Sandy Dusky a hundred years ago in yeah. the 70s. And the only song we ever sent in, uh, Sandy Jones, the only one we ever sent in Irish in 50. Should we give it a lash, do you think, in Irish? Sure, absolutely. Why not? Seriously, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the greatest music festival or one of them anyway, and I know I've been to it five times. I'm jealous of anybody who gets to go there, including my pal uh, Dermot Manning, who's there yet again for the 23rd time. Crossy, are you there? Did they send you, or what? Oh, I'm here, and you know what? I'm more annoyed than I ever have been. I've been listening to people moan and give out about Wild Youth every day this week, and Last night I had a little glass of wine. I was like, nope, I'm putting my phone away. You haven't I'm heard gonna... me giving out because I liked the song and I thought they gave it socks. Well, this is it, right? You might not know this, but I helped pick the song this year. So I helped, I helped uh, whittle it down from 60 down to um, 10. Well, you're an insider then. Yeah, what, what happens is then it goes from 10 and uh, there could be eight of me, just say. Mm. Go from 10 until 1 and then what they'll do is they'll go from 5 then to 1 and that's what goes on the late late the absolute bull I had to listen to the songs were horrific horrific <laughs> and if, any, if anyone is listening now and they're giving out about wild youth and they're going oh we should have done better put a song in next year and if you're any good you'll get onto the late late or whatever process they do like I swear to god I remember listening to a song ah, here I'm someone. T- someone's joking me now. Someone, you know, there were a couple of songs. There was one lady, Connolly, and um, she was cracking, absolutely cracking. But the, it didn't come across on the late late. Yeah. I, I was a bit like that. I was. I was in the John Lydon camp, and it didn't work for him either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just. I, I feel that when people are giving out about it, they're so passionate about it. But sadly, they don't know the ins and outs of it, no. and they don't know what actually comes through. Like if you're a Eurovision fan you're kind of going to know what's going to win. Like, I heard Graham Norton speaking uh, on Virgin Radio this week, and he says, the problem with Ireland and England is, is that we're still in the take that Westlife era. We're still in the ballads and the big Arabi goshes and all that. Whereas Europe is in the dance, the boobs, yeah. the abs. Yeah, but and, Europe, Europe has moved, which is why I think you are tipping. Now, she won it in 2012. I thought it was a much, much better song. This is what you're tipping, though. Saoirse was just telling me they're gigging yeah. over there. Yeah, yeah. My friend tried to get a ticket last night to that. And apparently it was the hottest ticket in town. Well, here's one for you now. The great Dermot Manning uh, is going for three in a row with me. Three years ago, he told me, Manskin. And I laughed at him for Italy. And he was right. Last year, we all knew to be Ukraine. He said, watch the UK. And Sam Ryder was second. He's telling me, watch this, which is the French song. Wow, I'm just looking here now. It's not in the top five at the minute. Yeah. When you're looking odds like the bookies are never wrong, the bookies are never wrong, and at the minute they have them at number six. Yeah. So. But the public vote can do an awful lot for the bookies. It can completely change it. Uh, the bookies are saying, first of all, uh, number three is Norway, Queen of Kings. Number two is Finland, that cha cha song that everyone's singing. And, and then, then number Lorraine. one they're saying is Lorraine. All right. So look, I think it could be Lorraine's to lose. All right. Crossy, enjoy. Seriously, enjoy. Uh, Eurovision weekend. I'm an unashamed fan. Uh, and I will see if, if Manning gets the three in a row. That's it for the week and for the day and for everything. And thank you particularly to the 5,000 new people who've joined us. And welcome to the biggest and most dysfunctional happy family on radio. Program edited by Imro Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Have a good weekend. We'll talk to you Monday just after nine. Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. 
You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more. 